We are nearish the beginning of our series in James. It's, Josh kicked us off last week with an overview, a big picture look at James, um, and really set us up for, um, in an exciting way, for all the riches of James's wisdom that he wanted to offer to all of the Christians that he could reach. Um, he, he kind of begins uh, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That's the, the dispersion is sort of a, an old word uh, for describing a, a scattering of people. He wants to reach people everywhere. And 12 tribes is, is, is reaching out specifically to Jewish Christians, um, that they were spread everywhere as far as Christians were found, and he wanted to reach them with this encouragement. And this book is rich in encouragement. Josh looked over it. Uh, beautifully. I'm not going to uh, try and do the same again, because even though we only have three verses today, it's a dense three verses, sort of. And the reason I say sort of is is because it's actually very simple. It is um, trials exist, they produce steadfastness, steadfastness uh, works you towards, builds you up towards perfection, so count trials as joy. And that's quite a simple argument it makes sense, but because it's about the aspects of life that suck, we come to it with a lot of questions. It's the kind of one that we challenge a lot. And so um, often when I'm preparing a sermon, there'll be questions that come up that maybe aren't the main point, but they're worth addressing because they're, they're questions that people will have when they look at the text. And this text, I felt like there were enough of those that I'll make them all the main point, I'm going, just going to hit this text with seven questions, um, and those questions are, if I'm going through trials right now, am I experiencing God's punishment? How hard does it have to be to count as a trial? God knows my faith, why does it need to be tested? How does the testing of my faith produce steadfastness? If I'd rather not go through trials and testing to build up my steadfastness, can I just get by with the steadfastness I already have? (laughs) How do we let steadfastness have its full effect? And how am I supposed to be joyful in trials? These are all questions I've had in my life with this text or with texts like it. And I say texts like it because this isn't unique to James. Um, He's not the only one who understands trials in this way. I'll read from Romans 5, 3 to 5. So this is Paul writing. Uh, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Beautiful, isn't it? And it's the same overall idea Rejoice, take joy, find joy in suffering, in trials, in difficulty, because it is doing good work in you, and God is doing that work. Peter says similarly in 1 Peter verses 6, 1 Peter 1 verses 6 to 7, um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Somehow, we're expected to rejoice, though grieved by various trials, 
though these trials are suffering, somehow we're supposed to have some joy. And so um, James starts there. I'm going to end there because James is saying, count it all joy because this, this, and this. We have to understand that this, this, and this to get to counting it all joy. But I do want to start there as well because James starts there. I think there are two ways to look at the counting it all joy. And one of them is available to all of us immediately. And one of those is only available to us through these trials that James is talking about. So I'll start with the one that's available to us immediately. Then we'll go through the other questions. And then we'll come to the one that's available to us through all these trials. And the first kind of joy, and Josh talked about it beautifully last week. He almost did my whole sermon for me when he was doing the whole overview of James, was that it is, it is a, the way James described it is a counting it as joy, a considering it a joy, a categorize your trials as a good thing, put them under the good thing category, put them in the joy column because they have these good effects. And so as we understand sufferings as God's good work in us, as bringing out things that are worth the trials, hopefully we can count them as good things even if we don't necessarily look forward to them. Does that make sense? Hopefully, if we have a good idea of, what, of the work that God's trials, so the work that our trials, let me, hopefully if we have a good idea of what God does through trials in us, then we can appreciate and be grateful for and praise God for these experiences. We can count them as good. We can be glad that God is using these trials in these ways. Um, but also, there's this other implication in these verses as well, that there is actual joy to be had in the trials, and I'll get there at the end. Let's just continue with these questions. These are all questions that, that I've had um, in my faith journey. Um, and questions that I'll probably still wrestle with. Because James talks about uh, these, uh, uh, a work being completed in us, working towards perfection. Believe it or not, I'm not there yet. There's a long way to go, and quite frankly, I'll likely only be there at the resurrection. But... Um, Yeah, no, let, let's go right into the, the first question. If I'm going through trials right now, am I experiencing God's punishment? In my experience, um, when I have faced difficulties, they were clearly a consequence of my own actions. I drew quite a strong connection there. And it's, it's a reasonable connection, and it's a natural connection. I'm going through this because of what I did. Um, that shouldn't be confused with God's punishment, but it's easy to be—it's easy to have that confusion. We have—we see God uh, in the Old Testament often. Um, we see judgment talked about often in the Old Testament and in the New, actually, as sort of a, a final exacting of justice, of a this was done and so this is what's deserved. But this is different to what God is doing through trials. I'll, I'll point to. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And this is an important distinction 
between condemnation and discipline. And it's the same kind of d- distinction that we're seeing between um, these trials that are meant to build us up and what we might think of punishment as sort of a, a um, retributional justice. God isn't... Sorry. Our experience of trials is not God putting us in the naughty corner because we were naughty, but rather it is God working in us and shaping us and changing us and disciplining us to uh, help us be more like him. I think there's there's a really important thing to understand here. Jesus took on all of our condemnation on the cross. Jesus took on the whole retributional punishment. So we can be sure that when we're in trials, we're not facing God's retributional punishment, but rather we're facing the consequences of our own sin, the natural consequences of our own sin, the consequences of other people's sin, the consequences of being in a broken world that's been broken by sin. This isn't a... uh, a karma that our, our non-spiritual culture around us surprisingly quite likes. You know, this idea that there's this automatic justice that the universe exacts on people, that what goes around comes around. This isn't what's going on here when we face difficulties. And it's important to understand that because sometimes in our difficulties we go, what did I do to deserve this? Or sometimes when we come out of difficulties, we do, how do I, how can I be righteous enough so as not to have to face that again? And it's important to understand that that's just not how it works. Instead of trials being a retribution to be feared, they are God's goodness to us to change us and shape us. It don't, doesn't make it less scary. Well, it does make it less scary, but it doesn't make it not scary at all. But it does change how we can view them. For me, it was, it was a big deal to come around to that conclusion that God wasn't punishing me. And it really changed how I viewed my trials. So I, I'm, I'm going to um, continue on, actually, because there are quite a few questions here. But, um, but the short answer to that question, if I'm going through trials right now, am I experiencing God's punishment, is no, but God is at work on you. Uh, question two, how hard does it have to be to count as a trial or a test of faith? The reason I would ask this question is because sometimes the difficulties I'm going through look a lot smaller than everyone else's, and I feel kind of bad for struggling with them so much. I feel like I just need to be able to suck it up. I feel like I can't bring it to someone else. I feel like this doesn't even count as God doing work in me if someone else is going through something so much harder. Right? So I think it's helpful to know that anything that is a struggle for us, anything that tests our faith even a little bit, any difficulty is God at work in us. And I'll, I'll draw us here from um, Romans 8, verses 26 to 30. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's the, here's the, the punchline, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul continues, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Um, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What this means is that God is doing something in the little mundane, slight difficulty that feels disproportionate, it feels like we're responding to disproportionately. When we are just going through something little, or we're going through something massive, when we're going through something that doesn't seem to deserve anyone's attention, or it seems almost too small to bring before God, God is actually at work in that. Have you ever felt like this struggle is too small to bring before God? Okay, only a few... I've definitely felt like that before. It seems like, what's, what does God care that I'm struggling with this stupid little thing, right? What does God care about this small little difficulty? But the reality is that God, in his infinite capacity, is at work through all things. God, in his infinite capacity, knows every detail of our hearts. And if we ever overlook something because it's small, it's because of our limited capacity. We can't put that on God. God doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss the smallest thing. Everything is under his watchful eye and his care. It means we can't go unnoticed. We won't be overlooked. God is at work through everything that we experience. Um, question three. So that was, uh, how hard does it have to be to count as a trial or test of faith? God is at work through anything at all that we encounter. Number three, God knows my faith. Why does it need to be tested? This is maybe more of a semantics thing, but it's the kind of thing that we come to with this kind of passage when we want to challenge it. When we go, oh, um, if this passage is about how I'm going to experience things that I don't like, well, I'm going to kind of pick apart the wording and go, God doesn't need to test me. He knows what my faith is. So we'll just um, have a look a bit better at that word. Um, sometimes we'll talk about testing as like, and exercising, um, rather than a checking. The word here, the, the, the Greek here, very much is pointing to like a, a proving, a checking, a having a look, a, a seeing how good the faith is. But it's not for God's benefit that we're seeing how good the faith is, it's for our own. When we have been through it, we know how strong our faith is in the face of that trial. When we lose someone close to us, it's only then that we know what kind of impact that has on our faith. When we uh, lose a job that we didn't think was that important to us, but suddenly we've lost our identity or our security, and God sustains us through that, we discover something about our faith that we didn't know before. So there very much is a checking, a testing, but it's not God testing us, it's God revealing to us about our faith. 
And also, at the same time, it is an exercising of our faith. And that's very clear in James. Um, that's very clear in James when he says, um, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's not just a, a passive check, but it's doing work in us. Now, question four, how does the testing of my faith produce steadfastness? Um, again, let's use the metaphor of exercise. Um, <clears throat> we're being stretched and we're discovering new limits. My, um, some of us in this church have kids, maybe even several kids. When we, when we had our first kid, it was tough. And let me tell you, he was a really easy, easy baby. He uh, slept through the night pretty quickly. Um, his, his cries were like the most gentle cries I've ever heard from a baby. And yet, I was pushed, I felt like I was being pushed to and beyond my limits. And it's a remarkable thing. Um, more than a few years later, now that we have three kids, we went to uh, India last year. Um, we, so my wife's from India. We went to Hyderabad, which is where her family's from. We spent some time there with her family and then dropped off our two oldest kids and took our youngest with us to Goa to a conference. And so we were back down to one kid and it felt like a holiday. <laughs> it was crazy to look back and compare. I can, I can look back five years prior, four years prior, and go, this is the hardest thing in my life. This is, I can't believe we've been going through this for so long and this is going to be the rest of our lives, to, oh, look how easy it is to have just one baby. <laughs> and I don't say this to diminish the experience of anyone who has just one baby, <laughs> but rather to highlight my experience of being stretched and grown in capacity, and that capacity stays bigger, and then God uses that capacity in different ways. We, we are adaptable, that's how God made us, and... <sighs> It's like, it is, like the working out, uh, yeah, the, the working out example is certainly apt. If you go to the gym for the first time and try and hit the same weights that someone who's a regular there is hitting easily, you're probably not going to get very far. But it's a building up through difficulty, through effort, that really produces... Um, a strength, a steadfastness, and endurance that James, Peter, and Paul all highlight beautifully. So, um, but I also like, so yeah, uh, the testing of our faith is like exercise. Trials are like exercise. But I also like Peter's image of, a, of gold being refined in a fire. Do you know how, like I only know a little bit about how gold is refined in a fire, but, but here's the gist of how it works. Um, when you melt something down into a liquid as different parts uh, are able to separate on their own you know like oil and water right they, they, they don't mix they don't stay within each other and it's similar with impurities in gold you melt it down and the impurities float to the top and they can be removed um, and this this refining by fire is a powerful image because no one wants to get burned no one wants to be in the fire but if the if the gold is uh, that we're trying to purify is our, our, the treasure in our heart, 
then the impurities are anything that we're hanging our hopes on that won't actually save us, that won't actually protect us. If our hopes hang on the size of our bank account and we go through trials that deplete the bank account, praise God that that temporary hope was burned away so that only an eternal hope can remain. If our hope is on our good health and our fitness and then we are... um, have an injury, a serious injury, or, or are overcome with sickness, and we're no longer able to depend on that that we were so sure about, on our own strength, on our own good health, praise God that that impurity was able to be burned away. When Jesus talks about storing treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth, he's highlighting that there's so many things that we put our hopes in, that we put our security in, that we depend upon, that will not last. And some of them, some of them, unfortunately, will last our lifetime. And I say unfortunately because that means some people get away with putting their hope on something that is not eternal and never discover that there is something actually eternal to put their hope in. Does that make sense? Praise God when we come up against the limits of what we've put our hope in. Praise God when our earthly treasure is put to the test and fails because regardless of how long this earthly treasure might last even if it outlives us it does us no good at the end of our lives but treasure in heaven hope in jesus is eternal jesus offers eternal life and so that's the gold that is that um, that's the pure gold that we want to remove other impurities from it is when I pray for my kids, I pray that they would know Jesus. I pray that God would make use of them, that they would be mature in Christ and they would glorify God in all they do and that they would delight in Him. I also pray against any sickness, any suffering, any difficulty and so on. But when I do, I hold it up next to the former, I hold it up next to um, a, a maturity in Christ, and I say, I know that it's kind of one or the other. Give them this. I know that in order for them to be mature in Christ, that they're going to face difficulty. I know that in order for them to be mature in Christ, their hearts are going to be broken. They're going to have Maybe some of the terrible experiences I can't imagine. Maybe some experiences that just seem really mundane to some of us. But when you're in them, they just seem awful and wear you down. And, but if God's using that so that their hope is on Jesus and not on aspiring to have a wife or aspiring to have kids or aspiring to be successful in my career, then praise God. It's that treasure in heaven, it's that hope in Jesus that is far more important. It really is the be-all and end-all. It's the purpose of our creation. And anything else that distracts us, may God take it away. I hope you don't mind that as a pastor of this church, as someone who has some responsibility 
and accountability towards God, though it is more God at work than me, praise Him, that I pray the same for you guys. That if trials are what it takes to build you up, if, if facing struggles is what it takes for you to love Jesus all the more and for God to be all the more glorified, that that's my prayer for myself and for you as well. I hope you don't mind. Feel free to pray against that if you don't want that. <laughs> I'm confident that the testing of faith produces steadfastness. That's been my experience. But at the same time, I've definitely, coming out of a difficult period in my life, a difficult period that God used to radically transform me, I won't go into detail just, just because of the time we have, but um, in my early 20s, I, I came into 2012 um, thinking I was humble, but I was immensely proud, thinking that I had everything worked out, thinking that I knew what I was going to be when I came out of uni, thinking that as long as I'm a good Christian about it all, that God was going to help me in whatever endeavor I, I put my mind to. And by mid-2013... That was all gone. Praise him. 2012 to 2013 was a, a tough year. Um, but by the end of it, by the, at the beginning, I was... Sorry, I'm just trying to make sure this is the short version and not the long version. Okay, okay. My favorite verse in the Bible is Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Do you know that one? Unless the Lord watches over the town, the watchmen watch in vain. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Unless God is in it, then the work is pointless. Now, my view of that verse, beginning of 2012, was, um, yeah, I'm a good Christian. God's going to be in my work. And my view of that verse by mid-2013 was... Um, God, where are you at work? Put me there. What are you building? Put me to work on it. It was a hugely transformative year for me. It was hugely humbling. And it began when a friend of mine suggested that I pray to God for humbling. And man, it sucked. And it was really effective. And it was really good. Praise God. But I also came out of the year kind of afraid of the next trial. Kind of afraid of the next thing that God will want to try and change in me. And so, and so that brings us to the next question. If I'd rather not go through trials and testing to build up my steadfastness, can I just get by with the steadfastness I already have? It's pretty good, right? So on the one hand, um, no, too bad, it's not up to us, all right? We don't, we don't uh, put ourselves in the trials by and large. But on the other hand, we've already had a look at how God is using those trials actually to protect us. Let's go back to that, uh, that verse um, on punishment versus discipline that I, I butchered a little bit, but 
Um, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We see that distinction between discipline and condemnation. One of those is a changing for our good. The other is a, is, um, a final justice with no opportunity to make any correction after that. And, but it, the verse also says, um, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The discipline is to keep us away from that condemnation. What this means is even though all it takes to be saved from condemnation is to know and love Jesus. It really is all it takes. But the world is at war for our hearts against Jesus. The world wants us to not depend on Jesus. The world wants us to love it and love what it offers us. To love money or fun or sex or or whatever even though those are just temporary things. And so when God is building us up and strengthening us and increasing our steadfastness, part of it is to protect us against walking away from Jesus of our own free will. God's not going to push us away from him. But it's very much the case that sometimes people who seem to really love Jesus turn around and go, you know what? I don't see how it's that much better. I don't see how it's actually better. It's very much the case that sometimes people turn away from eternal life in our Saviour and go for, for whatever temporary experience that they might enjoy. So, praise God... He is at work in us to increase our steadfastness. We can, that's something that we can pray for. We might not be asking for trials, but we might ask God to help increase us in our steadfastness. And we know how he's going to accomplish that, generally. Um, so that's on the one hand, that, that this, uh, these trials building up steadfastness are to protect us. But on the other hand, also... Uh, James sees steadfastness as a tremendous good. It is working towards the completion of God's work in us. It's working towards perfection. It's working towards us lacking nothing. This is more than just, you know, tough now to avoid worse later, but this is actually an invitation into God's goodness. This is how we get access to him in wonderful ways. We've talked about how Trials can, uh, can purify our hearts by burning away our misplaced desires. Um, but also, this steadfastness helps us as we encounter future trials. So this was my, my example was from my early 20s. It was, I came out of it glad for what God had done in me, but also kind of afraid of the next trial. But since then, almost without realizing it, I've come to a place, I've, you know, we experience trials all the time. Uh, since then, I've come to a place of going, hang on a second, I'm not afraid of God's trials anymore. The more work God does in us, the more we see God's goodness in it, the less scary it is to be worked on by him. 
the more soft our hearts are to his goodness, the more our hearts are shaped like his. I'll tell you what, the, the, the less... Maturity in Christ is like a, a shaping of our heart to be like God's. That we would love what he loves, that we would desire what he desires, that we would share his will. But our heart doesn't start shaped like his. They start hard and misshapen, and it takes a sharp chisel to change it. But as we become more like Christ, as we become less utterly dependent on the things that will pass away, as we become more um, overjoyed at the goodness of Jesus to us and what we have in him, what these trials do actually become easier. Or they do become less scary because we know that God is working out, is doing good work in us. And so this kind of... Um, this is kind of the difference... Oh, how do I put this? Okay, so, so we started out... Hopefully we can all understand that if, joy, if trials are bringing out... Uh, if trials are having a good effect, if God is using trials to work out some, to bring good out in us and to build us up and to build up steadfastness, that we can understand that we can technically put uh, trials in the joy category, even if we don't see them as joyful, even as we're apprehensive about entering into those seasons, even if we don't look forward to them. But also, as we grow in steadfastness, we actually get to experience joy through these trials. We actually get to rejoice from the heart in these trials. I think about um, I think about Paul singing worship songs from prison. I think about um, oh this is a good verse. I wrote it down somewhere. Not on this page. Um, I, think, I think about when, when Paul's suffering, we don't know exactly what the suffering was. We sometimes call it a thorn in his side, but he's praying that God will remove that from him. And God says, my, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, I'll rejoice all the more and boast in my weakness because God's power is made perfect in it. How beautiful is that? That is clearly joy in trials. How wonderful that Paul can boast in his weakness and we can too. It's hard to draw from personal experiences of when, when I talk about some of the most difficult trials because um, I haven't been through some really hard stuff compared to a lot of people. But, um, so I'm just finding a thing. I think there are two powerful examples that I, I want to draw from. One is many of us will know the story of... Um, Horatio Spafford, who um, lived in the late 1800s, and uh, he was quite wealthy in Chicago, but the Chicago fires destroyed most of his wealth. He was going to travel to England with his family, but in order to sort out some stuff there, he sent his family ahead, his wife and four daughters. 
and at sea. Um, the ship had a collision with another ship and only his wife survived. I almost can't imagine anything worse to go through. And yet as he sailed over to comfort her, as he passed over the spot where he lost his daughters, he wrote a song called It Is Well With My Soul. It is remarkable It is remarkable the kind of peace that we have in Jesus. The kind of joy. Horatio wrote in the song, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Isn't that a powerful testimony? Isn't that a powerful witness? that in the absolute worst of it, we can find joy in Jesus, that we can praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now that's one kind of great trial, a kind of single incident that will change your life forever. Another is some people are afflicted with, uh, with difficulties that will be with them for the rest of their lives. A friend of mine in Canada um, has cerebral palsy, and loves Jesus. And those really are the two most defining features of her life because she compares herself to her sister who she says is physically well but is spiritually unwell. She doesn't know Jesus. And her testimony is how much better it is that I get to know Jesus. And of course she wishes that her sister would know her as well. But what a powerful testimony that is when she's going through great difficulty in her life, constant, no end in sight, that until the resurrection, she's dealing with, she's battling in ways that many of us will never battle. But she says, praise God that I know Jesus. Praise God that I'm his. And it's amazing seeing how God uses her and her testimony to reach people all over the place. If I try to connect one person in my mind with the word joy, it really truly is her. You should see her dancing uh, during church worship. So this is how we are supposed to be joyful in trials. This is how we can be joyful in trials. It's not something that we summon in ourselves in the moment. It's not something that we just will ourselves to have, but it's something that God does in us, that God gives to us, that we should ask God for. And the way he's going to do that is through trials and testing of our faith. But we can be sure that it is worth it. We can be sure that it's for our good. We can be sure that God's going to be all the more glorified because we know for a fact, as Paul said to the Romans, that God works through all things for the good of those who love him. We know that uh, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that God will complete his work in us. And we can look at the examples of James and Peter and Paul 
And most of, the, most of Jesus' disciples ended up being martyred. And yet, they all said, Rejoice in suffering. Count it all joy when we face trials. Even grievous trials. God is at work in us. The reason that we can have this joy is because of Jesus. It really is only him. This isn't just like a, a general uh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing. This is a uh, unique relationship God has with his children. And in Jesus, everyone is invited to be his children. This is something that everyone has access to in God. That instead of uh, trying to be righteous to avoid punishment or in this life or the next, instead of trying to do things right so we can get into heaven, uh, Jesus came down and he said, you can't be good enough. With man it's impossible, but just turn to God and love him. And then Jesus died on the cross, took on the punishment for our sins, rose to eternal life, and it will bring up anyone and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So this is an invitation for all of us. That the difference between trials being um, struggle in a broken world and trials being God's good work in us is whether or not we know Jesus. So can I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, that this is available to you as well. That if you don't know who he is, there's a lot about him written here. If you don't have a Bible, we can get you some, get you one. Um, it's the whole Bible's online in many translations as well. We can help you find the information you're looking for. And if you do know Jesus, as, as most of us here do, let's encourage each other. So I know I've gone a little bit longer than I like to. I just, just two more things. Um, yeah. Two more things, because I, I skipped one of the questions, and it's an important one. How do we let steadfastness have its full effect? Trials aren't something we just experience passively. I know I, may, I maybe mentioned before that when I've been in trials, I tried to um, think my way out of them. Like, okay, what's God trying to teach me? And then if I can just understand it and know it and change myself in that way, then the trial will be over, and I'll be, I'll be relieved of this burden. Um, I don't know if you've thought that. I've seriously thought that many times. Like exercising, there are no shortcuts, but there is good technique. Let me tell you about good technique here. One, go to God. Pray. Ask for his help. And two, it's not something to do on your own. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have other people to share our burdens with. That um, Rome, uh, Paul said to the Romans, weep with those who weep. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, we are to suffer together. We are to endure together and be built up together. We're all members of one body. We're supposed to uh, present, be able to present each other mature in Christ. So don't do it alone and don't do it without God. I've definitely, I've, I've been in the thick of it, on my knees on the floor praying, thinking no one was nearby, God, help me. What do I do? Help me. Help me understand. Please, I don't know what to do. And my younger brother walked into the room, and my first thought was, ah, 
God, I was talking to you. Why did you let him interrupt me? And my second thought was, oh, hang on a second. He's answering my prayer. That he's someone who loves Jesus as well. And I, I talked to him about what I, was, what I was praying about. And he was able to offer beautiful wisdom and encouragement and pray with me. Expect trials. Embrace trials. God is good through trials. And don't go through them alone. Go to God and let's go through these together. Let's not be isolated. Let's not, let's not confuse this command to be joyful or this offer to be joyful in trials as, a, as some, being fake in trials. Don't pretend it doesn't suck. Don't pretend you don't need help. Don't be proud and pretend that well, because yours isn't hard enough that you don't need to invite someone else into it. Lean into each other, embrace each other, support each other. I'm saying this to you and to me. And be a church that as, as a whole body is building up its muscles, is building up its strength, building up its endurance towards completion, towards perfection because of Jesus. I'll pray and then I'll invite uh, Josh to lead us in communion. Gracious God, thank you for your good work in us. Thank you that you are changing us, that you didn't make us perfect first. You don't require us to be perfect in order to be in relationship with you. But instead, Jesus justified us by his blood, and then you've been at work on us ever since. Thank you that you're making us more like Jesus. This is your protection. Thank you that you're making us more like Jesus. This is your goodness to us. Thank you that you're making us more like Jesus us being more Christ-like is your goodness to the world around us. We know that a big way that you shape us and change us is through difficulty, through trials. We pray that you'd uh, sustain us, help us endure, help us to lean on each other and on you, and that you wouldn't shy away from your good work in us, even through trials. In Jesus' name, amen.